Lesson 3 for April 11 to 17, Jesus and the Apostles' View of the Bible, read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, April 11. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. This week we're going to be looking at what Jesus and the disciples thought of your word. And as we do so, we pray that there may be insights for us as to our relationship to it and what it means for us, what your word actually tells us and how we can use it to know you better and to do what you would want us to do. Bless us in our individual lives this week, Lord, in whatever sphere we're working or living in. We pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us in every decision and action that we make. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let's read that again, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Unfortunately, in this postmodern age, the Bible has been largely reinterpreted through the lens of a philosophy that questions both its inspiration and its authority. In fact, the Bible is seen as merely the ideas of human beings living in a relatively primitive culture who couldn't possibly understand the world as we do today. At the same time, the supernatural element has been either downplayed or even removed from the picture, turning the Bible into a document that, instead of being God's view of humanity, has become humanity's view of God. And the result is that, for many, the Bible has become largely irrelevant in the age of Darwinian thinking and modern philosophy. However, we completely reject that position. Instead, in the New Testament, we can see the inspired way to view the entire Scripture by studying how Jesus and the Apostles understood the Old Testament, the only Bible that they had at that time. How did they relate to the people places and events described? What were their assumptions and subsequent methods of interpretation? Let's follow them and their understanding in contrast to the misconceptions of uninspired humans whose assumptions lead only to scepticism and doubt about the Word of God. Sunday, April 12, it is written. The baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist marked the beginning of the Saviour's ministry, following which Jesus was led by the Spirit into the Judean wilderness, where, in his weakest human condition, he was tempted by Satan. Question. Read Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. How does Jesus defend himself against Satan's temptations in the wilderness? What should we learn about the Bible from this account? Matthew 4, beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. When tempted by appetite, Jesus responds, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, in Matthew 4, verse 4. Jesus points back to the living word and its ultimate divine source. In this way, he affirms the authority of Scripture. When tempted with the world's kingdoms and glory, Jesus responds, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. That's Matthew 4, verse 10. In Matthew 4, verse 8, it reads, And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Christ reminds us that true worship is focused on God and not on anyone else, and that submission to his word is true worship. Finally, with the temptation of the love of display and presumption, Jesus responds, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God, Matthew 4, verse 7. And in Luke 4, 12, it is put this way, And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. In all three temptations, Jesus responds with the words, It is written. That is, Jesus goes right to the word of God and nothing else to deal with the attacks and deceptions of Satan. This should be a powerful lesson to all of us. The Bible and the Bible alone is the ultimate standard and foundation of our belief. Yes, the Bible and the Bible alone was Jesus' method of defense against the attacks of the adversary. Jesus is God, but in his defense against Satan, He submits himself solely to the Word of God. It is not opinion. It is not an elaborate, convoluted argument. It is not with words of personal animosity. It is instead by the simple yet profound words of Scripture. For Christ, Scripture has the greatest authority and the greatest power. In this way, his ministry begins with a certain foundation and continues to build upon the trustworthiness of the Bible. So to finish today, how can we learn to be just as reliant on the Word of God 
and as submissive to it. Monday, April 13. Jesus and the Law. Question. Read Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, Matthew 22, verse 29, and Matthew 23, verses 2 and 3. What is Jesus saying in these contexts? First of all, Matthew 5, beginning at verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And Matthew 22, verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. And Matthew 23, verses 2 to 3, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not according to their works, for they say and do not do. Jesus taught his disciples obedience to the word of God and the law. There is never a hint of him doubting the authority or relevance of Scripture. On the contrary, he constantly referred to it as the source of divine authority. And to the Sadducees he said, You are wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. Matthew 22, verse 29. Jesus taught that a mere intellectual knowledge of the Bible and its teachings was insufficient for knowing truth, and more important, for knowing the Lord, who is that truth. Question. What does Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven to 40 tell us about Jesus' view of the law of Moses? Let's read that again, Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In this statement to the lawyer, Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments given to Moses nearly 1,500 years earlier. It should be recognized how Moses focuses on the Old Testament law and elevates it to the highest level. Many Christians incorrectly have concluded that here a new commandment is given— and thus somehow the Old Testament law is now replaced by the New Testament gospel. But the fact is that what Jesus is teaching is based on the Old Testament law. Christ had unveiled and revealed the law more fully so that 
On the two commandments, as we read in Matthew 22.40, summarising the Ten Commandments, the first four of which focus on the human-divine relationship and the second six on, of which focus on human interpersonal relationships, depend all the law and the prophets. In this way, Jesus also uplifts the entire Old Testament when he says, the law and the prophets, for this is a shortened version of referring to the law, prophets and writings of all three divisions of the Old Testament. In Christ Object Lessons, page 39 and 40, we read, He, that is Christ, pointed to the Scriptures as of unquestionable authority, and we should do the same. The Bible is to be presented as the word of the infinite God, as the end of all controversy and the foundation of all faith. So to finish the day, what if any competitive sources of authority, family, philosophy, culture, might be pitted against your submission to the word of God? Tuesday, April 15. Jesus and the Scriptures. Question. Read Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35, verse 44, and verse 45. How does Jesus use the Scriptures to teach the disciples the Gospel message? Luke 24, beginning at verse 13. Now behold, two of them were travelling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened in these three days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, 
for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who were there gathered together, and saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And verses 44 and 45. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding, that they might comprehend the Scriptures. After the death of Christ, his followers were confused and in doubt. How could this have happened? What did it mean? In this chapter of Luke, we see that Jesus appears to them twice, first to two who were on the road to Emmaus, and then to others later. On two separate occasions, Jesus explains how all has been fulfilled from the Old Testament prophecies, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Again, in Luke 24, 44 and 45, he says, These are my words, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus then opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Note the specific reference in Luke twenty four twenty seven to all the Scriptures. This is re-emphasized in the second passage as the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms in verse 44. This establishes clearly that Jesus, the Word made flesh, relies on the authority of Scripture to explain how these things were foretold hundreds of years earlier. John 1 verses 1 to 3, the Word made flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. By referring to the totality of Scripture, Jesus is teaching the disciples by example. As they go forth to spread the gospel message, they too were to expound all Scripture to bring understanding and power to the new converts throughout the world. Notice, too, how in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to 20 Jesus says to his disciples then and to us today that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. But that authority remains rooted in his Father and the entire Godhead, for he says to them, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Then comes the key passage. 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What does Jesus teach and command? His teachings are based on all the scripture. It is upon the prophetic authority of the word that he came, and it is in fulfilment of the prophecies in scripture that he submitted to his Father. And so, to finish today, if Jesus accepts all the scripture, why must we do the same? Again, how can we learn to accept the authority of all Scripture, even when we realise that not everything is still necessarily applicable to us today? Bring your answer to class on Sabbath. Wednesday, April 15, Jesus and the Origin and History of the Bible Jesus taught that the Bible is the Word of God in the sense that what it says is synonymous with what God says. Its origin is found in God and therefore contains ultimate authority for every aspect of life. God worked through history to reveal his will to humanity through the Bible. For instance, in Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5, Jesus refers to a quote written by Moses. But Jesus takes this passage and says, He who made them at the beginning said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother. Instead of saying, Scripture says, Jesus says, He who made them at the beginning said, attributing to the Creator's word, what the narrator of Genesis wrote. God is, in fact, regarded here as the author of this statement, even though it was written by Moses. Question. Read the following passages. How did Jesus understand the historical persons and events of the Bible? Matthew 12, verses 3 and 4. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. And Mark 10, verses 6 to 8. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. And Luke chapter 4, verses 25 to 27. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent, except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And Luke 11 verse 51, From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple, yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this 
generation. And Matthew 24, verse 38, For as the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. Jesus consistently treats Old Testament people, places and events as historical truth. He refers to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, Abel in Genesis 4, David eating the showbread, and Elisha among other historical figures. He repeatedly speaks of the sufferings of the prophets of old in the following texts. Matthew 5 verse 12 Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew 13, verse 57. So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour, except in his own country and in his own house. Matthew 23, verses 34 to 36. Therefore indeed I send you prophets, wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And Mark chapter 6, verse 4. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. In a message of warning, Jesus also describes the day of Noah. In Matthew twenty four thirty eight, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. There is also indication that Jesus was referring to this mighty act of God's judgment as a historical event. So, to finish today, because Jesus himself refers to these historical people as real, what does it say about the power of Satan's deceptions that many people today, even professed Christians, often deny their existence? Why must we never fall into that trap? Thursday, April 16. The Apostles and the Bible. The New Testament writers approach the Bible the same way that Jesus does. In matters of doctrine, ethics and prophetic fulfilment, the Old Testament for them was the authoritative word of God. We find nothing anywhere in what these men say or do that challenges either the authenticity or or authority of any part of the Bible. Question, what do these passages below teach us about how the apostles understood the authority of God's word? First of all, Acts 4, verses 24 to 26. So, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, 
Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. And Acts 13 verses 32 to 36. And we declare to you glad tidings that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, behold, I have begotten you, and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. And Romans 9.17 For the Scriptures say to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power to you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. And Galatians 3, verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Notice in these passages how closely related the scriptures are to the voice of God himself. In Acts 4, just before being filled with the Holy Spirit, the disciples praise God for the deliverance of Peter and John. In their praise they raise their voices, acknowledging God as the Creator and for speaking through David his servant. That is, David's words are God's words. In Acts thirteen thirty two to 36 which we read, David is quoted again by Paul, but his words are attributed to God, for verse 32 says, What God promised to the fathers. In Romans nine seventeen, where one would expect God as a subject, Paul uses the term scripture, saying, For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, which could actually be stated, for God says to the Pharaoh. In Galatians 3.8, the subject scripture is used in place of God, showing just how closely tied the word of God is to God himself. In fact, the New Testament writers uniformly rely on the Old Testament as the word of God. There are hundreds of quotes in the New Testament from the Old Testament. One scholar has compiled a list of 2,688 specific references, 400 from Isaiah, 370 from Psalms, 220 from Exodus, and so on. If one were to add to this list allusions, themes, motifs, the number would greatly increase. The books are replete with references to the Old Testament prophecies that are often introduced with the phrase, It is written, as in Matthew 2.5, Mark 1.2, Mark 7.6, Luke 2.23, Luke 3.4, Romans 3.4, Romans 8.36, Romans 9.33, 1 Corinthians 1.19, Galatians 4.27 and 1 Peter 1.16. All of this confirms that the Old Testament scriptures are the foundation upon which the teachings of Jesus and the Apostles rest. And so to finish today. 
what should these examples teach us about how dangerous any ideas are that would lessen our trust in the authority of the Scriptures? Friday, April 17. From the Signs of the Times, March 27, 1884, page 1, we read, Men consider themselves wiser than the Word of God, wiser even than God, and instead of planting their feet on the immovable foundation and bringing everything to the test of God's Word, they test that Word by their own ideas of science and nature, and if it seems not to agree with their scientific ideas, it is discarded as unworthy of credence. End of quote. And then from the book Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 432, those who become best acquainted with the wisdom and purpose of God as revealed in his word become men and women of mental strength, and they may become efficient workers with the great educator Jesus Christ. Christ has given his people the words of truth, and all are called to act a part in making them known to the world. There is no sanctification aside from the truth, the word. Then, how essential that it should be understood by everyone. End of quote. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. If Jesus the Gospel writers, and Paul, treated the Old Testament Scriptures as the Word of God, what should this tell us about why many of the modern views of Scripture today are wrong, and why we should not fall for these arguments, no matter who teaches them? 2. Just to give people an idea of where many modern biblical scholars have gone with their scepticism, there are a few things that many modern scholars deny. They reject a literal six-day creation, accepting billions of years of evolution instead. They reject a sinless Adam in an unfallen world. They reject a universal worldwide flood. Some reject the literal existence of Abraham. Some reject the story of the Exodus. Some reject the miracles of Jesus, including even his bodily resurrection. Some reject the idea of predictive prophecy, in which prophets tell the future, sometimes centuries or even millennia in advance. What should these conclusions tell us about what happens when people start doubting the authority and authenticity of Scripture? Also, what are ways to try to help such people come to a clear understanding of truth? And three... In response to the question at the end of Tuesday's study, how do we understand how all Scripture can be inspired, even the parts that are not necessarily applicable to us today? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Potluck Wins Hearts and once again it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. 
On Sabbaths, vacationers flocked to the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Russia's popular Black Sea resort of Gelenzek. The visitors from Siberia, the Ural Mountains and other far-flung Russian regions reminded the pastor, Andrei Prokopov, of something special he had learned while studying at Adventist International Institute of Advanced Studies in the Philippines. When visitors came to the campus church, Propokov and other students took turns providing them with a Sabbath fellowship meal afterward. Prokopev proposed a similar Sabbath fellowship meal for guests at the Russian church. He suggested that the church's six Sabbath school classes, each with six to seven members, could take turns providing the food. After the next Sabbath sermon, 20 vacationers in the congregation gladly accepted an invitation to stay for lunch in the church's kitchen. After the visitors were filled and happy, Prokopov asked them to introduce themselves and share how they became Adventists. The resulting personal testimonies were powerful, and the church members enjoyed hearing them. Prokopov wanted more people to hear the stories, and he began to invite non-Adventist neighbours to church to worship and eat. One Sabbath, an Adventist vacationer told a remarkable story about her grandfather, a cook who prepared food for soldiers travelling by train to the Western Front during World War II. The cook was much respected for his hard work and alcohol-free lifestyle, but he was an Adventist who refused to work on Sabbath. His superiors could not give him Saturdays off, but they didn't want to lose him. Finally, the commander summoned him. My friend, I will fire you on Friday, he said, then I will hire you on Sunday. The arrangement worked well. For the rest of the war, the cook was fired every Friday and rehired every Sunday. When the vacationer finished telling the story about her grandfather, a non-Adventist visitor at the table spoke up. I want to be an Adventist, she said. To Prokopev's joy, he later baptised the woman. In all, four people, all attracted to Jesus through personal testimonies, have been baptised in the two years since the fellowship meals began. Prokopev, aged 43, said fellowship meals with personal testimonies have been a huge blessing for his church and helped Sabbath school class members grow closer as they work together to care for guests. Personal ministries are very important, he said. They show God, His mercy, and His desire to be our God. This lesson was read by Dr. Percy Harold for Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, Christian Record Services for the Blind, the Sabbath School Department, and Hope Channel. You can also listen on the official Sabbath School 4 app and the Apple iTunes app, Sabbath School with Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful.